Hi there, welcome to Blessed for the Smess. Are you ready for a year full of chain breaking, thriving, blessed for your mess life? Well, if so, you've come to the right place. My name is Annie Morgan, the host of this podcast, where we find the blessings in the middle of our mess. I am a special needs mama sharing all of life's mess of this unexpected journey with you. But importantly, how we found the blessings in them, and also how we've chosen to live a life that is not defined by those circumstances. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am so glad you are here. And if this is your first time, welcome. Oh my gosh, so glad that you have found this podcast. If either of you returning or first time listener haven't connected with me yet on a personal basis, be sure to follow me and message me over on Instagram at blessed for this mess. I would love to get to know you. If you are enjoying this podcast and haven't yet left a rating or review, be sure to do that at the end of this. With all of that said, let's get right into it. Here we go. One thing that I'm confident in within my own journey is the preparation that God laid out in my journey, even before becoming a special needs mom. Being able to look back, I can see how many moments prepared me for these moments now. Today, you will hear from a mom full of grace whose life leading up to her son Nico's birth was exactly that, divine preparation and valuable connections that helped her become the mother she is today. A mom who sees the rainbows when the rain comes. A mom who pours her heart into moments that many could easily look away from. And a woman who encourages, supports, and advocates for the community. I'm so excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Maria. Let's get right into it. I just really think that you can bring so much value um, just given like the rare journey that you guys are on and also bringing more awareness too to Nico's diagnosis because it's a dual diagnosis, correct? Um, so he has, don't do it. Well, it's an umbrella diagnosis. So like everything that he has is because of this specific gene mutation. So okay. it's, um, it's kind of all in one so far. I mean, so I'm sure that he has other things that we haven't explored. Like, you know, in my heart, I feel like he has some processing disorder, but we haven't gotten anything official. So the umbrella diagnosis for him is the, the Cheta or ATN1 gene related disorder. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because that's kind of what I was <laughs> gathering from just kind of going through your stuff, but yeah. okay. We're going to just, I'm going to, pause for a second and then we'll okay. I'm just gonna we're gonna start and have some fun okay <laughs> all right good. thanks okay Maria my goodness so I'm first so glad that you are on today's episode and this has been something kind of in the making which is always super special for me in my heart because you know I woke up for those that are listening I woke up one morning with this huge message on my heart. And when I get these types of feelings, I feel like they're definitely driven from God. And I had this, you know, huge desire and urge of like, I need to connect with Maria. And like right now I'm feeling on my heart, like she's got to share. And 
So I'm first so grateful that you are taking time to sit down with us figuratively in this moment or social distancing us and having this conversation, which is great. And um, Maria, you are such an incredible mom to Nico. And I want to kind of just give you a moment to share a little bit about Nico. I know that that can take us on a long journey and I'm going to just let it go where it goes. But if for those listening that don't follow you on any platform, Nico, if we could get introduced to him, you know, if you could share some of that with us, we'd be super excited to hear about that. Yeah, thank you, Annie. Um, I, you know, first of all, I feel so honored that you think that I could bring something to your audience. And I'm so thankful for you giving me this opportunity because um, I do really enjoy talking about our journey and my son. My son, his name is Nico. Um, He is a very unique little guy. He's just turned three years old. Um, And if we, if I start from the beginning, really with our diagnosis, it was pretty much from the beginning, it's been kind of a roller coaster. Um, We found out when I was about 16 weeks pregnant that he had some abnormalities of like his urinary system. And so we were closely monitored um, throughout the pregnancy without really knowing the gravity of like what we were about to jump into. So my whole pregnancy felt pretty normal other than the fact that we were seeing the perinatologist for these abnormalities that they found, but um, we really didn't know much else because of the, the situation with his kidneys and his bladder, they did do a, um, an amniocentesis Mm -hmm. and they did do that because we were the possibility of having in utero surgery was there. So we opted to do it only for that reason that if we needed to do surgery, everything had to go pretty fast. So we opted to do it. Um, and that came back completely normal, which was, you know, it brought me peace thinking everything would be fine. Yeah. And so then we, continued seeing the perinatologist a few times a week up until we delivered. Um, And everything was pretty normal. Uh, You know, my water broke, we went into the hospital, everything was stable. Um, The only thing that I can say that was was that I started to notice something was different when I wasn't really having these really strong, painful contractions that people um, talk about and that you see in, you know, the movies and people who have had kids tell you about. So I wasn't experiencing any of that. Now, um, were you communicating that with the nurses at all? Or did you kind of just feel like, man, I am like one strong mom. <laughs> I was like this. Well, I kind of started getting a little, a little curious because I thought, you know, I'm having these contractions, but they're not, they're not very strong or anything. So I did, I did communicate that with him. I, I mean, I don't, I would say I have a pretty like normal pain tolerance I wasn't like thinking I was superwoman I was kind of starting to wonder if everything was okay but you know with me being a nurse um, I I have a background in nursing I was trying to be you know as calm as possible and I was telling them once once my once I once I noticed once they noticed that I wasn't moving along that I wasn't um um, really at all. And I wasn't feeling him move a whole lot, even though he'd never had anything with his heart rate they were concerned about. Um, that's when I started kind of like 
okay, what's going on? So after 24 hours of them putting me on Pitocin, trying to get my contractions to be um, stronger, they finally end up having to do a C-section. And I don't call it an emergency C-section because he was stable. Um, his heart rate never, he never decelled de or his heart rate never accelerated. So I wasn't um, super concerned about that. Um, and everything from there, you know, we had him via C-section and that's scary for most people that I talk about that have a C-section is it's a very scary experience because um, you're a wide awake as they're taking this baby out of you. Um, I remember the moment they put him on me and I have a picture that's one of my favorite pictures and it's them placing him on me and I just immediately the connection that I felt with him was just I mean and I'm sure a lot of moms feel this way but it was just nothing I had ever felt like before Um, right it was just amazing and I remember my husband being there and snapping pictures and from there it kind of became a little bit of a fog because you're under a lot of medication. But um, when I woke up, I remember the first thing that they, my husband had brought in Nico and I knew there was something wrong because of the look on my husband's face. Um, He put him on me and we were trying to get him to uh, latch and trying to get him to feed. And then I realized that he wasn't really as awake and he wasn't really as interested in eating like a like a typical baby would be now at this point have you and your husband kind of like started a conversation or is it more like this internal just connection where you guys both kind of know something is not headed in the right direction but you're kind of or maybe not wanting to speak it out too soon right so that's exactly what happened we both I knew he thought something was wrong he knew that I thought something was wrong, but we both kind of were just, I think we were hoping for the best. We already knew that he had, he had some, some medical issues going on with the um, bladder and the kidney. So we, we had kind of prepared for a, for the possibility of a NICU stay. We had prepared for that. We had talked about it. Um, We had toured the NICU. We had expected the possibility of it being there, but we thought it would be something more, um, structural with his kidneys not not what we were experiencing then in the moment where you know he wasn't as alert as the other babies he wasn't crying as much as uh, the other babies he wasn't looking for food he just we could tell there was something off um you know i'm me having a c-section they took me into the um the postpartum and he went into the NICU after they couldn't get him to eat and he had dropped his blood sugars. Um, so my husband stayed with him and the next few days were a lot of bonding with Nico and my husband who he stayed with him. And I can say from the time Nico was born, um, he has never really spent time alone. We've always, somebody has always been there with him. And I think that's a, a huge part, a huge thing for me. I always, um, I didn't want him to be alone. I knew something was wrong. I didn't want him to feel like he was by himself. So I would go visit him in the NICU. And after, I would say the first day, he wasn't on on oxygen the first day. So it took took some hours. It took, I think, 24 hours for them to realize that um, 
he also wasn't able to regulate his oxygen very well. So then we had the feeding issues and then we had the oxygen and then we had the abnormalities with the urinary system. So that kind of started stirring up some questions from the medical team. Um, and that was when they kind of started looking into what else could be possibly wrong. And that was when we realized that, you know, this isn't going to be just just a structural thing. This There's something bigger. Um, right. So then we they started doing a bunch of testings. They did ultrasounds of the abdomen. They did ultrasounds of the head. They did ultra, they did echocardiograms and they did um, all every, they checked every system basically to see what else, since there was already a few things that were affected. And so from what I'm gathering, just really Mm -hmm. quick, just to kind of understand in this moment, did it feel like they really were they were very clueless in this moment and not in a derogatory way, but like they had no idea potentially what was really going on. Yeah. And so like so they were just running these tests. Okay. That, yeah, they really just, they didn't know. I could tell that they knew, they knew there was the suspicion was there that there was, there was more to it. Um, so even though they don't tell you that immediately, um, you kind of gather that, especially I think we, with both of us being nurses, we kind of know the faces that right. doctors and nurses have when they don't want to share s- certain concerns with the family. And I really didn't push for answers right away because I think from the beginning, even while I was pregnant, I knew that I didn't have control over the situation. I knew that what was going to happen was going to happen regardless of what I was doing. The only thing I could do for him while, even while he was inside of me, while I was, you know, baking him was make him feel loved and make him feel accepted and know that whatever was going to be thrown our way, that we were going to be, we were going to be there. We were going to help him. We were going to do whatever it was that was necessary And I didn't want him to feel my stress. I didn't want him to feel any sadness. I didn't want him to feel any of those things. So even when he was out, I think in our room, we try to keep it very positive. Um, We try to keep it very loving and as normal as possible, which was hard. It was, I'm not going to say easy. It wasn't easy because you do get, um, you do get scared when they start doing all these tests. And then I remember getting the information as it was coming, the test results were coming in. And I remember thinking, I think the biggest one for me that really hit hard was um, the brain scans. Once they read those to me, the brain scans were the hardest because then that to me was the biggest thing that I knew his oxygen, you know, if he can't regulate his oxygen, what else is he not going to be able to do? So that was one of the things that I think the, you know, in his heart, they didn't find a major issue with his heart. He does have a small hole called an ASD, but it wasn't very concerning because it wasn't very large. Um, His abdominal issues, the urinary system issues, we kind of were expecting, so they didn't hit me as hard. Um, but the brain really hit me hard. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I, I remember feeling sad, but I also remember feeling this is 
this is going to be okay. You know, with, we're going to do therapy. Like even then I was like, we're going to do therapies. We're going to work hard. We're going to do everything we can that's in our power. So your, your Instagram handle is finding our rainbows and you kind of have this underlying message of really just that of like how you find the rainbows when like a storm has come after it's gone, like how to navigate this and really find really the blessings in your journey. And I've heard that a couple of times throughout you sharing, and I'm always so perplexed and wanting to understand like how we operate, why we operate. And even you talking about recognizing that when you had the suspicion that there was potentially going to be a different journey for you guys with your child while being pregnant and realizing like you can't control that. So you're going to place your focus elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from for you? Like if you could pinpoint it and maybe it's got to take some time. Cause I know there's layers to this, but mm-hmm. if you could kind of just pinpoint where that came from, like, did someone teach you that? Did this come from something else that you did in your life? Like how did you decide that, yes, I can't control this. So I'm going to put my focus and energy into a positive way Mm -hmm. to give this the best purpose in life that I can. Yeah, that, you know, I, I have actually thought about this. And one of the first things that I remember um, when we started seeing all these things was for me, it was like, everything was making sense. Everything that I had experienced in my life, I, you know, the family I was born into, um, my career that I chose, everything, my job that I was working at, everything just sort of made sense to me. Everything, I took it as life and God had prepared me for this. I truly believe that because a little bit of history on me is I have a brother who has Down syndrome and he is... Um, you know, they would say low functioning. He is nonverbal. Um, and I don't like the word nonverbal, but he's, he doesn't speak as, as what I'll say, but I was born into a, a family who my mom and dad, both of them, they never, they never took the, it was never a sad thing to have Eric is my brother to have mm-hmm. Eric in our life. It was always a blessing. It was always, We've always celebrated him. We've always um, celebrated him within our family. We've always celebrated him with extended family. You know, my parents did a lot for him when he was little. I remember when I was little uh, going through therapies with my mom um, and, and with Eric. And I remember seeing my mom and dad do things for him. And I just saw the way they cared for him and the way they loved him unconditionally and we just, that's how I was raised. This, you know, the, the, the world of special needs is not really new to me. Um, it's something that I have grown up with. It's something that I have accepted for, you know, what it is. And I'm, I've always been thankful for it as well. I think that when you're little and you tell someone that you have a brother with Down syndrome, the automatic response to that is kind of, well, like pity, you know, I would, right. It's a, it's a look of pity. It's, it's kind of like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I always, I never understood that because for us, it was not something to be sad about. It was not something that, that we, 
were um, unfortunate. I think it was the complete opposite. I think that when you have someone who has special needs, who needs you, who needs your help, it just creates this different type of, it, it creates this different type of, you become this person who honestly is just so much better because you see the world differently. You see what's yeah. really important. You see what's really, you see love in a different way. You see family in a different way. I think to love. And even the milestones too, I'll say like with Ava, you know, given that, you know, we have family members that are roughly around the same age as Ava mm-hmm. and to see, you know, kind of the little things that sometimes often get taken for granted for us are a huge deal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like little things like that, you're like, wow, I I would have never had the opportunity to be grateful at the magnitude that I am if I wasn't exposed to this type of, you know, grit, honestly, like having to walk through something that is so challenging that requires you to be stretched and to be tested in your character and your faith. Yeah. You know, I think that that is a huge blessing if we can really allow it to work in our benefit. Right. Right. And I think, um, like you said, you know, it's a, it, you have to accept it. And, and once you do, you see, you know, you experience everything at a, at a much greater sense of gratitude, like everything that, you know, cause you work so hard for it. You know, you work so hard mm-hmm. for the things that, that th- this person is achieving, you know, even, you know, as simple as a smile to some people is very difficult because a lot of people don't realize, I think how much your body really does for you without even thinking about it. Um, how much, you know, how much, how much goes into everyday life that you do that, is just done for you so easily. And a lot, a lot of people take that for granted. Whereas when you have someone who is challenged in those things, those things become almost miracle, like everyday miracles. Um, you know, I feel like that's one thing that I, I, I really realize out of having my son is once I had Nico, I really realized like how much of a miracle every single person really is. And everything that we do is just so perfectly like perfectly created it's it's just it's crazy it's crazy when you if you really sit down and think about it it's really amazing that we are here and you know and one of those things that going back to Nico's diagnosis um when they started finding the brain abnormalities and the heart defect and the um he also has like he has these like really cute little um quirks in his little fingers and toes so they're you know they're abnormalities but to me they're just cute little quirks and um you know all these things that once once we found out that it was all because of a change in a genetic um a change in in a gene it blows your mind to really think about how we're just, we're, our DNA, our, every letter in the genes, they all make a difference. And because right. these, these few little letters in one of these genes got switched around, everything changes. Everything changes. Um, when he was diagnosed, well, so we got a diagnosis when he was six months old. Um, and we got it after 
doing a lot of, um, after seeing a geneticist and doing the genetic sequencing and doing the whole exome. So once we did the whole exome, then that was when they were able to pinpoint that he had a uh, translocation in the ATN1 gene. Um, And at the time, there was eight kids in the world with this specific mutation in this area. So we really didn't have um, a lot to go off of when it came to, you know, what to, what, what to expect, what we were going to see, what we did really, it, it really didn't give us an, an, any answers at all, really. We, it just gave us a little bit of at least, at least we kind of some form of a community. Yeah, some form of yeah. a community. It took, it took okay. another year for us to really get in contact with everyone, with some of the people that have children with this with this specific mutation. Um, but it, it, having an answer, I think, has been one thing that has really pushed me to really share our story, just because I can't imagine going through life, not ever getting even, um, not even an umbrella, like, any answer as to why these things are happening. Um, You know, I, I like to know I'm a person that likes to know things. And so for me, it, it it at least was a relief that I knew what it was, what was causing this. Um, The other thing that I think um, is really important for me is that now that I know this, you know, there's so many now so back when we were diagnosed, there was eight children in the world. Now there's 10. And in my heart, I feel like there are maybe more people out there with this mutation, but because maybe they were born at a earlier time where genetic testing wasn't as available or wasn't mm-hmm. as advanced, I feel like, you know, there are more people. They just don't know because they didn't have that available at the time their children were born. Right. So it's something that I'm really, I'm really passionate about. I feel like. So you've kind of taken this on in a way of like being a pioneer and saying, okay, like if I'm not the one who's going to put this out there, bring awareness to it, share these moments and really be transparent about it, which that is one thing that I gravitate towards you so much is especially just seeing the transparency of what you go through mm-hmm. and, and not to say go through in like a negative way of, but like your daily life with Nico, mm-hmm. your thoughts, the struggles, the overcoming, but then importantly, like you put so much grace on this every single time you share it, there is so much grace that you fill into this. And that is my favorite piece because I mean, it, it takes me right back to what you shared about how your parents set this example for you. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see now why you operate the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Like you definitely don't operate in a place of, I can't believe this happened to us. You know, woe is me. Like, you don't do that at all. You, you are there to remind people like he has purpose mm-hmm. and we are going to provide as much to him as possible. Right even when other people doubt us, right? And kind of to jump ahead, but, you know, you um, have got Nico going to school. Yeah. And I am just, like, so excited for you guys because I know that, you know, that just alone as a parent can be super challenging to, you know, finally have to 
realize my baby's growing up and going to school. And then you add on this other layer of having a child who does have, you know, more requirements and needs than most. And like to put yourself in a place where you say, you know what, I'm having full faith and I'm trusting and, you know, we're going to provide as much to him as possible. Like that is, I just am so proud of you for that, for, you know, leaning into it instead of kind of fearing away from it. And, you know, it's easy to listen to all of the what ifs, right? Okay. It's so right. easy. But to for you to be able to just say, you know what, like, we're going to just give him as much as we can. Like, I'm just really proud of you for that. You know, and you said it exactly is I have a lot of faith. I really do. Like, I remember, you know, even when I was feeling all these all these emotions with all these things that they were finding wrong with him. I still, I had faith. I had a lot of faith that everything was going to be okay. And even if it wasn't, I was going to be with him and provide him with love and provide him with acceptance and do everything that I possibly could. Like I remember the NICU nurses telling me to, you know, to rest. And, and I mean, I, I did, I rested, but I never wanted to miss a moment with him. I never wanted to just, you know, rely on people or I, and we were in the NICU for two weeks and then we came home for 24 hours and we're right back. And we were basically living in the hospital for months, but I was always there and I always had a lot of faith um, because I felt like I was the only one that really saw him. I felt like, you know, I feel like when you have a child that is, um, that is diagnosed with brain abnormalities that you don't expect them to do much, you know, they kind of, and it's, it's, it's kind of science, how, how they teach you in medical school. I think, you know, this is what's wrong and this is how it's going to be where I never thought that way. I always thought this is what's wrong, but he's going to show us what it is going to be, you know? I remember thinking he's there. Like I would talk to him and I could remember the look in his little eyes. I could remember, like, I can just, I could just see him for who he was and not just for the brain scans. I could see his potential. I, you know, I think it's, for me, I feel like it's one of those things where I truly believe that because he had so much love and attention and we never gave up on him that he is who he is today. I feel like he blossomed with the love and the acceptance and the fact that we never, I never, we never gave up on him. We never believed that he wasn't going to do anything. I mean, even when he started smiling, it was very late. Um, It was probably you know, it was later than, than typical kids start smiling. And it was more, it was, it wasn't as, um, as um, I'm trying to find the word pronounced, maybe like yeah. pronounced, like, okay. we yeah, pronounced. Um, and so we never, we didn't know what was going to happen. But I can tell you that from probably the time he's been two years old, he's really even showed more and more personality. Um things that and that's part of the reason actually why I started his Instagram and why I started recording him every day and taking pictures of him every day because we would go to the doctors and the doctors just they wouldn't believe me I could tell they wouldn't believe that 
<laughs> he was doing these things. And so I loved whipping out my phone and showing them the videos and the pictures and what he was doing at home and how he was acting and what he was, what he was capable of. Yeah. You know, so I think it's important for you to really share kind of like what you're doing to provide. And I'm specifically, when I like I'm mentioning this, I am picturing the activities that you are providing for Nico to really get him engaged because I think so often we can find ourselves in circumstances that look completely different than we want and feel like we're not getting the response that we're used to. And so we often feel like, okay, well then like it's out of my hands Mm -hmm. and there's nothing I can do. You've chosen to do the opposite. And so we can learn so much from you, Maria. If you can kind of share like what those daily activities, because I feel like that is a huge result from assumptions of why Nico is getting those personality traits and those reactions. So Mm -hmm. I think it's valuable if you could share some of that with us. Yeah. So I think with him from the very beginning, one thing that I've always, always done for him is I have always sung to him. You know, I sing to him when we're happy. I sing to him when we're sad. I sing to him uh, any opportunity that I have. I mean, Nico has, um, we have one specific song that really got us through a lot of rough times. And one thing that he, I don't, for most of you that I don't know if you know that a pick line is something that they place. It's kind of like a longer term IV and the nurse that would do those, that procedure on him would let me stand in the room with him and hold him down, which was not something they typically let parents do because, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're placing a, um, a sterile line into your baby. It's a hard thing to watch, but, um, she would let me in because they didn't have to give him anesthesia or any type of medicine for it because I was able to sing to him and really get him to soothe and calm down and hold still for the entire thing. And the fact that she trusted me to do that and the fact that I was able to be there was just so special to me. And I really realized how music is so powerful for him. Mm -hmm. You know, music has always been so powerful to him and, communicating and soothing and he reacts to music and with every emotion you know he could be throwing a complete fit and I will start playing a song for him or singing to him and he will just immediately stop and listen um one thing with him is uh, from the beginning he had failed his hearing tests um in the hospital that they do for the newborns and even though he failed them we just never we just always kept doing our thing regardless of what these tests were saying you know I think for a lot of people when they're told that their child you know failed their hearing test or you know didn't can't see or you know you can't just give up I feel like for me you have to you have to keep introducing them to sound you have to keep introducing them to visual things you know unless there's something for to clarify Nico's um Nico's uh vision is also affected by the brain abnormality so he has what's called cortical visual eye impairment which structurally there's nothing wrong with his eyes there's a, a interpretation issue from what his eyes take in and how the brain reads it 
but technically he's considered to be vision impaired. Um, and with that, from whenever, from the time he was very small, me knowing that it was hard because I, like you said, I wasn't getting the reactions that I wanted to get. I wasn't, they weren't immediate reactions. They weren't, sometimes there was no reaction but we still always offered him thing, a lot of contrast things. We all, every time we spoke to him, I really would get in his face. You know, we had a lot of face-to-face time. Um, we had a lot of um, visual things going on in his room. Even when we were at the hospital, we tried to bring as many things from home as we could. We had books. We had toys. We had his iPad. You know, even, even with, um, I know they say, screen time isn't good but if you're if you have a child who is visually impaired and they react to something on an iPad for example I love looking at baby contrast videos and those really got his attention from the time he was really little it was probably one of the first things that he really focused on visually and so we kept doing that um we kept doing that for him and it took a long time he still doesn't track like you can't place an object in front of him and he doesn't follow it, but he finds things, you know, it just takes right. him a little bit longer. He just, he needs time and patience, you know, a lot of patience um, and constant, constant. I mean, we had therapies in the home. We had therapies in the hospital and I took every, every suggestion that they gave me and I went with it and I not just went with it, but we did it all day, every day. You know, all day, every day, I was no longer able to work, which I, you know, I really appreciated the fact that I could stay home with him and that I could spend every waking moment with him because I took all those, all those days when he was little up until now, every time we're together, I constantly am offering him different toys and he always has something to see, always has something to hear, or always has something to feel around him. I never leave him without anything to stimulate him. So even though he doesn't play by himself, I always leave him options all around him. He's constantly surrounded by things. And I think that's really, really helped him. Yeah. A lot. I'm curious to know in everything that you're saying right now, what has Nico taught you through, you know, having to really operate differently and understanding like the responses that you were expecting are completely different. Just curious, like what have you learned from Nico? Oh my gosh. I think the biggest lesson that I learned being a medical professional myself is that nothing, there is nothing a test can tell you that a person, a test cannot ever tell you what a person is actually going to do. I think that's a big lesson for me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being in the medical field, I think you kind of become a little jaded and you, you read diagnoses and you read tests and you, you automatically assume that that's what it is where Nico has taught me that it's not. It's, it, you know, only God knows what someone can do, what someone will do. Nothing else can tell you, no matter how much experience, you know, no matter how much, how much science is advanced, 
no one can ever tell you what your kid is going to do. And it's one of the reasons why I also love sharing our story with those people that are just starting on their journey. They're just getting their diagnosis. They're just getting their MRI results. They're just getting these tests done. So for me, I feel like one of the biggest things that I can share with someone who's just starting is, you know, let it take that information. You know, I know it's sad to hear that your baby has this and that, and it's really hard to hear that your baby's not going to ever do this and not ever going to do that, but feel it and then, and then keep going and then keep pushing. Don't, don't ever take that literally and, and not push them. Yeah. The biggest thing that I could tell someone is never take things literally just, you know, only you, only, you know, your child, only you see them at home, only you see them in their environment. So for me, I feel like that's the biggest thing that I could tell someone. And that's the biggest thing that he's taught me is to never give up. There's so much, you know, to have even more patience, I feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been a patient person because of my brother. I've had a lot of patience, but he has really taught me patience, you know? Yeah, um, man, I'm, I'm sitting over here like this whole time, just in conversation with you, like you have me smiling. My heart is smiling because I feel like just you again you just bring so much grace to this journey and there's whether we're walking a similar journey or not I mean just to really learn from you to say you know what you're right like I might have been given something that has been spoken over my life that is completely you know opposite of the direction I wanted or is very bound to this circumstance And I have to have the faith and choose to give my all no matter what was said Mm -hmm. to push that as far as we can and then realize at the end of the day that, you know, they're just going based off of data Mm -hmm. and, you know, research and, you know, resources, whether it's through the books or through the classes and teachers and medical professionals. Mm -hmm. But you're right. At the end of the day, it's if we continue to pour into our children I really do think that that's where the growth comes from. If we really choose to invest into that and positively say, you know what, we're going to be empowered by this and we're not going to let this defeat us. And, oh, like, I'm just so grateful for you because I mean, again, like we can learn so much. So I'm curious as a, not to put you on the spot, but like if you were to go back to work, knowing kind of what you have been taught through Nico, like how do you see that kind of changing how you operate, I guess, with, you know, future patients and stuff and in the field? So I think another thing that I haven't mentioned is um, when I was pregnant with Nico, I had already been working at a non-for-profit organization that provides respite care for families who have medically fragile children oh my or gosh. children with termina- terminal illnesses or life-limiting illnesses. And so I ended up there kind of, I ended up there after a doctor that I worked with told me that I should go work there and that he thought I would be great there. And 
at first I was like, well, I don't know because um, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a respite care, palliative care, hospice care facility. So I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to handle working at a place like that. Um, but I decided to go ahead and give it a shot. And this is where I think it comes in where I, when I started getting these diagnoses for my own son, I was like, this is why, like, this is why I ended up there. I needed to see, I needed to see what this world was about. God was preparing me. I really truly feel that God was preparing me for my journey. And so I worked with kids who had very rare diseases. They had, um, all these different, I remember getting the, the results of the MRI thinking of specific children that I worked with. And one thing that I can say is that it didn't make me sad. It actually, and, and it was, and, you know, I did, I did tear up and I think that I teared up because I, I took those results and I remembered all the kids that I worked and I remembered what they could do. And I remembered the smiles and I, I didn't focus on what they couldn't do. I felt like, you know, right. this, this kiddo has this and she smiles. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think one of the biggest things for me is, or biggest things for anyone, for any parent is you just want your kid to be happy. You just want them to feel loved. You just, you want them to enjoy their life and enjoy what they can. And I remember one of the first, um, one of the first days that I worked at and the facility is called Ryan house. I remember taking care of a little girl who really could only wiggle and she was so happy. You know, she was so happy whenever she was playing with her toys and she could just wiggle. And I thought, you know, that is so beautiful that you can have all these things that you can't do, but kids don't focus on those things they focus on the things that they can do right you know and the joy that they their have little yeah. joys. yes they focus on their little joys and I love that and I think that um that working there really prepared me for what I was about to to live in my own life and what I was about to to take on and I still work there. I work there once a week. Um, I don't do one-on-one patient care anymore because, you know, they're, they're 12 hour shifts and it's really hard for me having Nico to do those, but I do one eight hour shift a week and I love it. I can't imagine being anywhere else. And I have this whole new outlook, this whole new, I mean, my perspective was from a sibling before having my brother, Eric, right now, my perspective is from a parent, you know, all which I think is going to greatly impact, you know, even being able to connect on a deeper level with other parents, you know, as you are working with your patients and everything. And that's, I think that brings such a more beautiful dynamic to it because it is different, you know, having someone who is a medical professional, Mm-hmm. who isn't a parent or right. even a parent to a special needs child, you know, it's different. And so you do bring a kind of a even level playing ground where you're like, I, I walk this daily. And so I yeah. can come to you in a way that's, you know, more authentic, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of more real. And so I think that's super great. Um, 
as we wrap up, which I know it's so crazy because I feel like we're just getting started, but is there anything before we wrap up that you really want to mention or even say, you know what, like it might've felt this way, but it really is something else. Like, I don't know. Is there anything that's on your heart that you would like to share before we wrap up? I think, um, the one thing that I, that I would like for anyone on this journey or just starting or is I know that it's hard. I I've had hard days. I, you know, I'm not perfect. I have had days where I have broken down and the important thing is that's okay. It's okay to break down. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel all those things, but it's also very important to just get back up find your song, find, find something that brings you joy and share that with, with your, with your child. Like for me, you know, our, you said our handle is finding our rainbows. And that is something that we've have done from the beginning is the reason that I named it that, that is because one of our, our NICU song and the song that I always go to is somewhere over the rainbow, um, you know, it'll all be okay. Even on the hardest days, it'll all be okay. And even if it's not one thing that my husband told me when we were going through some of the hardest times was even if things are not okay, you will be okay. We will be okay. No matter what happens, you we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this everything, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Right. I, I do like that phrase. I, do I think too. <laughs> does happen for a reason. Right. I am okay with that. Even the hard things, you know, this life is not perfect and this world is not perfect. And I don't think it's supposed to be, you know, I feel like like you said, like if we really just trust in the fact that if everything does happen for a reason, especially in the times that we don't understand, for me, I find that when I'm placed in those moments of uncertainty and confusion, it allows so much more of me to build my relationship with God. And even to say, look, I don't understand why I'm going through this. And maybe that's not supposed to be what I'm supposed to be understanding in this moment, but help guide me where my focus needs to be. What am I supposed to learn in this moment? And I think if we kind of shift our focus of why is this happening to saying, okay, it might be happening, but what do I do? What can I build in this moment? Right. Get a tree. I'm going to build a chair. Right. Right. What's the purpose? Absolutely. And that's one thing I, and I just want to take a moment again to say, I'm just so grateful that you've chosen, especially in such a rare journey to really stand up and be a pioneer in this journey and choose to educate all of us in a lot of different areas, educating us on his actual diagnosis you know, what that looks like daily, but Mm -hmm. also educating us to remind us that we can still have joy in this journey, even Mm -hmm. if it is completely different than we wanted it to be and completely different than we expected. 
in that you have purpose. Like, even if someone has spoken something over you that seems Mm -hmm. as if you don't or that what is spoken over you is the final word and it's not. So again, Mm -mm. Maria, I just want to say thank you for showing us and sharing the purpose that you and Nico are developing together daily and the educating the encouragement that you give to your son that is poured out into the community and that you do for other people. Um, I wanted to just recognize that because I know sometimes we can feel not seen. And I think it's really important publicly that I just share with you that I see how much you pour into others. And I think that is such a healing place to be when we can often be in a place of hurting when we can actually lift other people up in those moments, I find that that actually lifts us up too. And so I just want to say thank you for inspiring everybody and just encouraging them to do the same in their life. So thank you so much for taking time. And I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you too. Before we go, I I want to say thank you as well, because, you know, I feel the same way about you. I, you know, I I see everything that you do for Ava. I love that you continue to push and I love that you continue to share your journey. And I just love everything you've done, everything you, I feel honored that you felt that I could bring something to the people that have already followed you and people on your platform. You know, I, I really, truly feel honored and I'm so happy that I found you because I feel like we are very similar in that we we don't take no for an answer that's right we're gonna keep pushing <laughs> we're gonna keep pushing I, you know I will take your no that's right don't tell me I no show you that's right <laughs> I will take your no I will take it I will cry about it and then I will keep on pushing amen my goodness yeah. Well, we'll leave it there because I mean I can feel myself like oh I have got more to tell you but We'll wrap it here. I'm so grateful for you. And again, we'll find you on Finding Our Rainbows and we'll be able to join in on those with you and Nico. So thank you. If you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a rating or review or both. And if you have not yet, be sure to follow me on Instagram at blessedforthismess. I also have a new addition to this podcast for you guys if you have not heard. There is more exclusive content that you can get from specific episodes. If you go to my Instagram and you join Bless for This Mess podcast family, the link will be there provided for you. If you have any questions, be sure to message me. And if you haven't connected with me, there, but you have been tuning in, be sure to stop by and say hello. I would love to connect with you over there. Again, I can't wait to hear the blessings you're finding in the middle of your mess. This is Blessed for this Mess, and I can't wait to see you in the next episode.